Would you bet a few thousand dollars that you could sink an eight-foot putt? What about 10 grand that you could win a drag race against a Camaro with a thousand horsepower? If you bet $2 million, could you bet it all on one football game? Maybe you wish you could, but you probably wouldn't. Gamblers is about the people who did. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network comes Gamblers Season 2. Listen now. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the Ringers Philly special. It's Sixers talk. It's Raheem Palmer. It's Chris Ryan. It's a new year. Happy New Year, Raheem. What's going on, man? Life is good. I mean, I think last time we spoke, we were speaking on the Sixers seven game homestand, and you uh-huh. know, I, yeah, we were we were talking about you know if they were going to close out the homestand with a win, um, and we I think we spoke about Christmas, and you know they actually got it done. So um, things have been really good. Other than the injuries, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that as a Sixers fan, you basically, it's nice because you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> it's it's kind of like being an Eagles fan right now, where you, you tune in and you're like, I'm curious to see how Melton plays. I'm curious to see what Maxie's doing now that he's back. What's Harden going to be like tonight? Like, there's not... There's not a boring game, and uh, it's it's really interesting. We're going to kind of recap where we are now uh, since we last spoke. I think we last talked after the Toronto or Detroit game right before Christmas. Uh, the Sixers obviously had a lovely victory on Christmas Day. That was an, that was an awesome experience. And then uh, in totality, I've won 11 of 13 games. So if I told you that, you'd be like, that's right. The Sixers have locked into gear. They're racing up the, the conference standings. I'm excited to see where they wind up at the end. We're talking some home court games in the playoffs. And weirdly enough, because of this Eastern Conference, the Sixers are pretty much where they were when we last spoke, Raheem. You know, like, they were pretty much where they are when they first started this this really nice run that they're on. They're in fifth. Uh, and they are stuck right in the Eastern Conference middle ground between this upper tier of Cleveland, Boston, Brooklyn and Milwaukee that have kind of separated themselves, but above the strugglers in the Eastern Conference. Does that fact and that reality represent who the Sixers are to you, Raheem? 
I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I just think all of these teams are very close together. And I think so much of it is going to depend on matchups. So, I mean, I think there's a clear hierarchy. And I think the Sixers are at the top of that hierarchy. I mean, when you look at the Celtics, you look at the Bucks, you look at the Nets, you look at the Cavs, and you look at the Sixers. If any one of those teams won the East, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think they are above the Knicks and the Pacers and the Heat and the Hawks and the Bulls of the world. So... I think we're right where we need to be, especially when you consider the fact that we haven't had our whole team. As soon as we got Tyrese Maxey back, Joel Embiid went out. And I know it's probably like a rest thing, but the fact that we haven't been able to see, see this whole team together and we're still amongst the top tier teams, I think you have to be optimistic about that. Yeah, just as far as the conference in general goes, I think you're right mm-hmm. both in a positive and a negative way. Yeah. Like, So you're right... Any of these teams on any given night and in any given playoff series might beat one another. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think that we are susceptible to getting knocked off by a team beneath us, right? Like, because, like, sometimes just it doesn't go right for the Sixers. And, like, I think the Hawks series from a couple of years back still haunts me a little bit of just being like, this is the season that they're supposed to go to the conference finals. We need to get Joel out of the first, second round. And it just, the, that the Simmons of it all and everything that happened during that, that Hawk series just came back to haunt us. And I think because of that, I look at the teams beneath the Sixers and you do see a Heat and you do see a Hawks and you do see, you know, I don't know about like the Bulls really scaring me and the Bulls might even blow it up going into this trade deadline. But for the but by that same token... I do think that the Sixers can make a series out of a, a series with the Nets, the Celtics, the the Cavs certainly, and and also the Bucks. Oh yeah, I mean without a doubt. I mean I'm gonna be honest with you, like the bottom tier teams don't scare me. Like I, I just think the Heat is just. I think they've taken a huge you step. Think they're cooked. I think they're cooked. I mean when you like my guy Matt Moore from the Action Network said it today on his Twitter, but I think they have just a point nine net rating with Jimmy Butler on the floor. (laughs) I think that's like the same net rating as the Utah Jazz right now. So it's like they don't scare me. I just think they've taken a huge step back. The Hawks, I mean, you look at them with Nate McMillan, like we don't know if he's even going to be coaching there. Yeah, he's talking about resigning. Yeah. So and then the Pacers, I think they're a good regular season team. They can score, um, but I mean, they can't really defend. I just think there's a clear hierarchy in the East, and I I expect the, the Sixers to be fine as far as, you know, beating the lower tier teams. But when it comes to the top tier teams, it's just like any one of these teams can beat anybody. So I'm I'm not that concerned, honestly. So I wrote down basically the big sort of storylines coming out of the last couple of weeks since we last chatted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought we could go through each one of these. So as we said, the Sixers won 11 out of 13. Did you have a favorite win, favorite game over the last like 10, 12 days? Because I think that New Orleans win where Zion got hurt, that was unfortunate, but I was glad to see us kind of get revenge on the mm-hmm. Pelicans after the Pelicans had, had beaten us. And I thought that that showed that was like Sixers can play with anyone on any night. I like the Knicks win just because the Christmas Day win. Yeah, I, I like that one just because the Knicks came out on fire. Um, you know, they, they kind of dominated that first half. And would you look the first half? I think, you know, at halftime, it was just like the Sixers are only down. Well, what were they down? Three, four, five, six points at halftime. And a game where the Knicks pretty much dominated. So for them to, to pull that out and, it, you know, 
they locked all windows and closed the doors in that fourth quarter. They threw a zone at yeah. the Knicks, and the Knicks couldn't do anything. So I really was impressed with that win. I think that was a statement win to come off that seven-game homestand where you're undefeated and you're kind of getting beat up in that first half. And by the end of the game, you're like, these two teams are on completely different levels, to, to quote Meek Mill. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to celebrate Christmas, but my preferred way is watching Embiid troll the garden crowd yeah <laughs> at, at like 12 45 p.m on christmas day that was that was better than anything i could have gotten under a tree uh, a couple other things that have happened over the last couple of weeks uh so mb threw his hat essentially into the, into the mvp ring uh, i had been kind of curious to see going into this season whether after coming up short to Jokic, to whoever over the last couple of seasons, even though it's obvious that this is this is an award I think very much matters to Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder whether or not this would be uh, a little bit more of a cruise control, maybe like a LeBron season, where like LeBron is like the most important thing is that I am playing in peak condition in the playoffs, you know, and that Embiid might rest a little bit more, might try to figure out different ways to play within the system might turn over the keys to Harden and Maxi and more nights and just not have these like eye-popping statistical nights that put him at the top of the NBA player pile. And I was wrong. He's he he essentially resurrected this season single-handedly um especially when Harden was out. So is this foot injury which I we don't know a ton about but is did not sound like a big point of concern for Doc. Mm-hmm. Indicative of a guy who only knows one gear, right? Like he only has one gear. It's go, go, go. It's getting 40 and 20. It's saying like, you mentioned me in the same breath with Giannis and Jokic. Or is, you know, like I'm I'm basically like trying to make sure that it's okay that he's going this hard this early in the season. I look at it like this. Embiid is 28 years old. He's in the prime of his career. Like this, these are the peak years. He's not... Like, if he was post-30, I would be like, all right, yeah, maybe you got to slow down. But these are the years where you're going hard. So yeah. I, I can't be mad at him for you know, doing what he's he's doing right now. I think th- these are the years where you, you make your legacy. So, um, you know, I always, like, I, I, t- I told Bill this when I hopped on this podcast, but the MVP award is like no country for old men. Like, the last 30-year-old MVP was in 2005. Yeah, was was Steve Nash. So you have these younger guys who were 28, 29, 27 years old, and they're going hard every night. So I expect the same thing from Joel Embiid. I think that it's, uh, I think it's just like you enjoy it while you have it. Yeah, you know, he's the he's obviously the best player we've had since Iverson. Yeah, and and in some ways, the Iverson thing, for his like formative and important and 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 and. Like he's my favorite athlete ever. Like it's it's not that complicated. It was quick. You know what I mean? It it felt it, it felt like important while it was happening, but it wasn't that many years when you think about it. And the to, to see Embiid do this year after year after year at such a consistently high level has been pretty amazing. And like just if you have him, you are a competitive basketball team. You know, yeah. like we've had so many injuries this season. Um, you know, sometimes like we've expressed our frustration with the way Doc has managed the team. But for the most part, I'm just like, I just, I just don't want, I don't want a game to go by without like appreciating what he does for the team. 
It's just like sometimes I'm like, oh, I wonder whether or not. I'm glad he didn't play against the Pacers. If it's a foot thing, if it's a rest thing, if it's a whatever, it's just let's take care of it now. Like worry about like he can play 45 minutes a night when it comes to the playoffs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some other things that have come up over the last couple weeks, obviously, the big one, and I I think these two things are very much a part of each other, is James Harden started to look like the old James Harden. Yeah. And then a rumor came out that James Harden wanted to go play for the old James Harden team, the Houston Rockets, or at least that he he and his, his sort of team had been open to the idea of returning to Houston. Um... It was that came out Christmas Day. That was a really weird one. That was a Woj report on Christmas morning, and then um, predictably, at, when he was asked about it, I believe before the game, but maybe after, he was pretty pissed. He was like, "Why are you asking me about this on Christmas Day, man? Like this is ridiculous." Um, I'm of two minds of this. One, it's like it was after the game. That's right. Our producer Cliff lets me know it's after the game, mm-hmm. and he played very well against the Knicks. I'm of two minds of this. One, I don't really lend a lot of credence to this. It's like, to to me, it's 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 just like, of course he's going to consider his options, you know. Um, on the other hand, if it, if if somebody else winds up taking Harden after this season, and and giving him a big long term contract, it's it's not the end of the world for Philly, you know. Yeah. Like like what if if James Harden plays it out his 30s somewhere else. What, what did you make of the Harden-Houston stuff? So from a, bas- from a basketball perspective, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would Houston no. want to bring James Harden back and you have all Sell these... tickets and, and just be able to have the beard back on billboards there. Like, just have a franchise icon. I mean, I get that, but I mean, you got like, you know, Jalen Green, you got Jabari, you got all these young guys who... You're trying to build around them and, and change the franchise. It, it you just, also still have the coach that Harden absolutely killed by like, yeah, by like basically just, going on strike. It just feels weird from a basketball perspective. But from a lifestyle perspective, it sounds like, I mean, look, I love Philadelphia, but being rich in Houston with no state taxes and, you know, turkey leg hut and strip clubs and warm weather. Is Turkey Leg Hut a strip club or is that no, it's a, where you go to? It's yeah, a okay. restaurant. Like like Turkey Leg Hut is like they have like like it's probably the best turkey wings and turkey legs ever. Like they have them like stuffed. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> like they're like stuffed with all types of stuff. Like it's, it's insane. But like choosing I can understand why James Hart would want to choose that as a rich and wealthy young man over, you know, being here in the cold in Philadelphia. So I get mm-hmm. that. But I just, I just don't see it happening. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't see it happening either. I think <laughs> that there was a, basically the discourse around this was like Harden gave the Sixers a discount. I would say that the Sixers then, in turn, made sure Harden was comfortable by getting a bunch of dudes in who he's played with before, um, and that that won't be the that won't happen again. Like the next contract is gonna is gonna be a real payday. I think 
Maury, if I had to read the tea leaves, is more than prepared to do that. He obviously uh, bet heaven and earth to get Harden here and waited and waited and waited through everybody crying about wanting C.J. McCollum or whoever. When Simmons was obviously going to be traded, he waited for the guy that he wanted to make the deal. And out of nowhere, like pried Harden loose from Brooklyn when it seemed like if you're James Harden and you want to win titles, you just play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn and make it work. You then would have the best offense of all time, possibly. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill about it. You know, for, for all the things that have happened to the Sixers and all the wild stories that have happened to the Sixers, this one's pretty tame and pretty, pretty normal. It's like a guy is going to look at his options when he's a free agent is, is pretty normal. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It just seemed like nonsense to me. And it just, at, at, at the end of the day, I think James Harden knows that he wants to win. Um, he's not going to have an opportunity to win in Houston. If he goes back to Houston, he's basically saying, you know what, I'm just playing for my own stats. And I, I just, I don't think, I don't, I can't see him doing it. I, I really can't. Unless, you know, things really fizzle out poorly in the playoffs for the Sixers, there's no way he's going back to Houston. So I just shrug it off, really. <laughs> I shrug it off, too. Uh, the other big thing that happened was the Tyrese Maxey came back. We've been waiting. Uh, honestly, the brightest sort of star of the early part of the season and and in a lot of ways my my favorite player on the team you know mm-hmm. one of my like one of the best young guards we've had on the team since like drew holiday like it just an amazing amazing story great character like great kid got hurt comes back uh but two three games ago has obviously been playing himself into shape and um i think that the, this is more of a way to talk about the small ball lineup that we saw last night against the Pacers. So the Sixers mm-hmm. won in overtime. I think it was like 130-126 or 129-126. Sixers yeah. beat the Pacers in overtime. And the game aside and whether or not it should have gone to overtime and whether or not the Sixers should just be putting teams like that away aside, no one beat. So they play the small ball lineup of Melton, Maxi, Harden, Harris, and P.J to start the game and I think in general just played a very like I think Harrell was like the biggest guy that they really played that much and um I thought it was very cool like I was just very exciting to see that you can see the limitations not necessarily of the the play style but of the personnel when put in that situation just defensively like Joel and not having Joel Embiid makes a huge difference what have you seen from Maxi so far and what did you think of him in the three guard Hydra lineup that we had out there um i mean obviously like you said maxi is playing himself back into shape so i mean we're not seeing the same you know burst and you know same shooting ability but i mean last night he made the key plays to to help this team get back in the game i mean you saw the you know the steal of from Halliburton and then the, the layup and then the possession after that where it's just like he you know, he laid it up, he missed it, but Tobias finished it off. So, but I really like this three guard lineup. I think the biggest thing with the three guard lineup is that it helps the Sixers get easier baskets in transition. And, you know, we are a team with James Harden and Joel Embiid, and, you know, we're a very good half court offense, but a lot of times it's tough for us to get something easy. So I love the fact that you have this three guard lineup and, you know, according to cleaning the glass in 179 minutes, most of them, which were without Joel Embiid, this team is scoring 124 points per one of possessions. And, you know, they're only giving up 116. So, I mean, that's a positive net rating of plus 7.4. And then you, if you just break that down to just lineups with Tobias Harris and PJ Tucker, they're actually scoring 128 per 100 possessions. That's, I think, 
those lineups played 125 minutes. So it's pretty clear that this team is getting stops and getting out of transition with with the three guard lineup. So I'm enjoying it. I think that when you say it like that, it makes intellectual sense. Like I, I and, and I think I see it for most of the games. I think the thing that freaks me out a little bit is late game Sixers. Yeah, and specifically Harden should probably not be playing 42 minutes against the Pacers in January. Like, I think that you want to manage him. I I get it. Like, you don't want to lose to Indiana. That's the team right beneath you in the standings. You want to show that you can win without... You want to win every game, and you want to show that you can win without Embiid. But, like, to me, that... One of the things that concerns me about this team is just, like, the late-game decision-making and the late-game stamina and, like, how they just don't look as like kind of up to the athletic challenge sometimes as other teams do when the clock gets really late. So mm-hmm. Harden had a great game, but then like, I thought I kind of melted down towards the end of it. You know, when I was watching that game, one of the things that really stood out to me was that we, and we spoke about this before, but PJ Tucker is really, I don't know how much he can play for us. Like, like when it really matters, because you saw that offense really bogged down and you know, one of the things that we had, I think we had the small ball unit out there with, you know, the three guards, P.J. Tucker and Tobias Harris. And basically, you just had a bunch of guys standing around. So Rivers, I mean, his biggest move of the day was really putting in Montrezl Harrell so they could have somebody who can just roll to the basket. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I think that helped the offense. But at the same time, you know, and Montrezl Harrell, he, he did a tremendous job on defense, but there's some limitations that come with it. Like, it was just like the the lane is wide open. He's not a good rim protector. So it's like the offense kind of got better with Montrez out there, but in some ways the defense kind of got worse. So it's just, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it was, it's just tough. I just like PJ Tucker's got to give us more. Um, so it's just, I, I, I just don't know. Like, late game stuff, I mean... The PJ thing is going to pay off in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and we we see him against Durant, and we see him against Giannis, or we see him against whoever. Like, it's it's, Tatum, you know what I mean? It's like, he got brought in here, he got the three-year contract, because we need somebody to take on, in the absence of Ben Simmons, who, to his credit, was this guy. Yeah. Somebody who can be on the floor and take on the other team's best player, best wing, best forward, whatever. Sometimes, mm. when I look at the end of the night and Matisse Thibel gets 21 minutes and is plus 14 in those 21 minutes, even though single game plus minus is ridiculous, I have like this itch I want to scratch where I'm like, I just want to see Matisse get a run of games with double-digit playing time minutes and see what the team looks like and feels like with him out there. Because I do think that he is the X factor in a lot of ways. I mean, am I crazy for still sticking with Matisse here? I don't think you're crazy at all. And I think it could benefit us. But he gets yo-yoed like it's eight minutes one night. It's seven minutes one night, three minutes one night, 21, 24. Like it's, I just don't understand like what he is, what he is. So like, why, why jerk him back and forth to the minutes? I mean, Doc just doesn't he doesn't trust the young guys. And it's unfortunate because Isn't he isn't this his fifth year? Like when he's not that young anymore. Yeah, he's not that young. I mean, but it's just I mean, Doc has his guys. I mean, like it's pretty clear. I mean, it was, what is this? This is his fourth year, actually. Fourth year. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like Doc just doesn't 
I mean, he has his guys. Like, I mean, you kind of know that he's always going to go to Montrez when he can, or he's just, he, he, he picks his favorites. Like we're not seeing Paul Reed. Like, I don't understand how we're not seeing Paul Reed with no, in a game with no MB, how we're not seeing him. So it's I mean, just, if, if the if it's a consequence of Doc experimenting with small ball, which he's going to have to do in the playoffs anyway, I'm okay with Paul Reed getting mm-hmm. getting kind of shunted off to the side. Our producer Cliff in the notes mentioned a good point, which is that like it's not Thibault's defense, which is the problem; it's his ability to shoot threes. But for me, I hear I hear that. I don't know why he has so much of a shorter leash with that, but PJ doesn't. You know what I mean? Like it's I, I don't know whether PG is just more disciplined or plays more within the system that Doc has out there. But for me, it's like I would love to see Matisse out there. And it's like the way you get better at shooting threes or more confident at shooting threes is shooting threes. And you need time out there to take that corner three that's gonna be there for Matisse. I also think Matisse has just he's just more ad- aggressive when get with getting to the rim to me. And, yeah. And it has like a higher upside of like, okay, Matisse is like a baseline cutter is like an, an a pretty good element for this offense yeah it, it definitely adds a, an element to this offense that we just don't see otherwise um and you know the funny thing is i think thibault i mean well pj tucker's about 38 percent thibault was at 35 percent but i mean the one thing i'll say about thibault is that he's he's become a willing shooter you know he's actually taking them when they're there so it's just i don't know you kind of got to let let guys develop and i think that's the the issue with doc and that's always been the issue with doc even when he was with the clippers so uh i figure we could wrap up today by talking a little bit about what's to come which is most notably the trade deadline so we we're about uh i don't know five four four weeks five weeks out to mm-hmm. the trade deadline i you know i think that when you're making nba content it's very fun to come up with fake trades all the time but traditionally there aren't a lot of season swinging moves made in midseason, you know, in February. Like the you you get your random, uh, you know, what was the what was the the deal that we made in in one Was it to get Matumbo? Yeah. Like there's there's deals that happen, but you know, Rasheed Wallace to the Pistons obviously was a big one, but. There's not a lot that often, you, 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 for as much as you people are like, what if they did Beal? And, and I, I heard Bill like throw out Maxi and Harris for Beal and, and, and all these ideas. I'm, I usually go into these things with pretty low expectations. What, what's your mindset heading into the trade deadline? Do you think that the Sixers could make a huge deal? Do you think the Sixers need to make a huge deal? Or do you think that there's a smaller Bogdanovich level guy out there? For us to try and pick off and do we have the assets to do it i mean if the bulls are going to blow it up i would like to see us bring drumming back like i think that's that's something that's that's feasible um i could see bogdanovich i mean the the pistons are going to like get rid of a lot of their veterans um i could easily see that happening so um I think that would be I mean, solid for Bogdanovich is going there's going to be a bidding war for Bogdanovich yeah, if that so, happens though. Yeah. I mean, I still want I mean, I would love to I would love to add an additional wing like Crowder, but I just don't know if we have the pieces to get that done. So, it's just I don't I can't imagine there being too much on the horizon for the Sixers um as far as what we have to give up. And if and the the thing with the the Sixers needs is a backup 5 is the kind of guy who winds up on the buyout market. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know if we're going to get, I don't know. We, there's no really no point in us getting Jakob Podol, but like there's, there will be a guy out there if, if uh, Chicago continues to 
to lose. Like Drummond could be out there. there. There's there's going to be bigs out there on the market that the Sixers could probably go get if they've just sworn off the B-ball Paul as backup five. And I, I think if, if we go into the playoffs with Montrezl Harrell as the backup five, then I, I don't really know what to say. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I would, be, I would be very disappointed. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I know he had a career game, like, well, not really a career game, but he had a he had a great game last night. Like, I think he was, like, very sure. in- instrumental yeah. in, you know, the success last night. 19 points, 8 and 9 shooting. I mean, he had some key. He had four blocks. He was key, but I don't expect that to be sustainable. And I think the Sixers do have to make a move for a backup big. Well, maybe as we get closer to the trade deadline, you and me can make a shopping list for Daryl. Mm-hmm. And we can just do it. We can do a who, who's out there that we think we could get kind of thing. I really do not expect some some crazy Bradley Beal thing. It just seems like. Yeah, yeah it, I, I didn't like. I love the pie father, but I did not like that deal. Like, there's no way. I mean, I he's just be- he's just cranking. He's the Picasso. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's just like, I got I got this thing. I can see the ones and zeros in the matrix. Like, I'm just throwing out names. <laughs> Um, I mean, else you th- that's the deal that he wants us to make as a as a Celtics fan. <laughs> like, completely ruined the Sixers. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's now he's in like a real like uh, hurt locker with Missoula. I don't know why, but Bill is like freaking out about Joe Missoula, which is I'm, I'm, it, it gives me nothing but joy. I'm like, go ahead, lose your mind. Um, okay, so is there anything else you wanted to hit today? Um, I, I think you, we hit on everything. I mean, the one thing that you you hit on that. It's like I was really impressed with the Sixers in that second Pelicans game. I, I think that was for them to turn it around after the first Pelicans. Because I actually bet the Pelicans on that Friday night game. Um, and it was just like I'm watching it. And it's like the Pelicans are just doing whatever they want in transition. Uh, and CJ right. McCollum got hot. And before you know it, it was just like the Sixers are just not in this game. So for them to completely turn it around and you know, dominate the Pelicans in that second game. I was really impressed with that. So, I mean, that showed me a lot about who this team is. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that I've, I'm feeling much more confident about the Sixers and much more enthusiastic and optimistic about them than I was two months ago. Uh, and, you know, like the, this is a veteran team. I expect a lot out of them going down the stretch. Like I, I, I really do. Uh all right, let's wrap it up there then. For Raheem, I'm Chris Ryan. Thanks for listening to the Ringers Philly special. Ben and Shield have you covered for Eagles for the rest of the week, and we will be back next week to talk about whatever's going on uh, at the Wells Fargo Center. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>